Hey, you're listening to episode number 24 of the Obsessive Creative Podcast. This is a community of relentless creators, and here we talk about what it's like to be compelled and obsessed to create work that matters. I'm your host, Luke Cleland, and you can stay up to date on all things obsessive and creative by following me on Instagram at LukeWTCleland. Let's get into the show. All right, Matt, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast today. I'm really, I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, so Matt Moreau is the creative director behind uh, Landmark Project. And I've known Matt for many years, uh, right when he actually kind of like began his business. And it's it's really cool to see kind of like where he started and what he's accomplished over the years. And he is such uh, him and his wife, Jen, are such like a creative, like a powerhouse. And so I'm so excited for you guys to hear a little bit about Matt's story um, and what he uh, has done. And so, Matt, I, I would love for you just to kind of like jump into kind of like what you're doing now and kind of like your journey, like wh- as far back as like you uh, can think of as of like where did creativity start in your life? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then how did you get here? Uh, well, I, I could go back pretty far. Um, I'm, I, so so if you want to if you want to start from where I am now. Uh, currently I, uh, like, like you said, am the creative director for the landmark project. My wife and I actually own a business that this is one of the brands that it makes. And the landmark project is a collection of, uh, artwork that is applied to different souvenir items that are themed around the national parks and, we can probably come full circle to that so you can see how I got to that place. But it really, a lot of it really has to do with just being raised kind of in the natural world. So being a child of the eighties, I spent a lot of time outside. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't like keeping up with my friends with the, uh, emergence of video game systems. I wasn't really doing that. I wasn't (laughs) playing a ton of sports at the time, but, uh, we had a little bit of land back, uh, in our backyard. And I remember thinking like, well, what can I do with this? You know, if, if this is where I'm, if this is my playground, um, I could meet my neighbors out here. What, what worlds am I going to create with this? So, Doing that was a, a huge shaping force in my life, but also um, my my dad was a carpenter. So if I wasn't playing in the backyard, I was playing in the carpentry shop, and I would assemble things out of scrap wood. And so, you know, I think I remember making tanks and airplanes out of uh, scraps and and uh, glue and nails and putting them together. At a pretty young age, I learned how to use power tools and I still have all my digits, but I was definitely that, I was definitely that kid who would get a brand new box of Legos for Christmas and then like throw away the box, throw away the instructions and dump all the Legos in like this collective bin and then just like let, let that bin just keep growing and I would make my own things. Like I didn't care. I didn't care what the, the box 
said to make like here's what you could make you know every single lego every single little piece in this box has a purpose and when you're done you've 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 assembled this 3d puzzle of and it it represents something else that's in pop culture i just wanted this huge barrel of legos in my life and (laughs) kind of like like with scrap wood and with anything else that was around me uh Hmm. i'd loved to take the elements of my environment and make them into something else the process of uh, growing up and kind of growing out of that and maturing was interesting. I I always had an interest in art and fine art and uh, kind of pursued it casually through, through high school and then got to college. And I actually really struggled with this idea of, uh, do I want to keep doing this? Like, is this just a way for me to uh, play and have fun and, uh, like kind of exercise that half of my brain that seemingly like really responds well to it. Or should I do like the serious adult thing and go into a, a career field and, and pick a field of study that maybe I'm not interested in, but it's more guaranteed to uh, be something that will pay off in the long run. So uh, I made that classic decision like art or med school. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I thought for a while, like, Hey, I can actually, I can actually cheat this and, and find that happy medium. There's something right in between it called uh, medical illustration where you, you know, you, you go to med school and, and I should say, I actually love science. Like I would have totally been happy to do med school. I wasn't always a great student, but I think that field of study would have been something that kept me engaged. Mm. But the, uh, the idea of going into medical illustration meant that I could have like all that security of a job. Um, but I would still be, my job would actually still have like a a pencil and a pad of paper in my hand. And I'd be drawing and illustrating and and working for publishers, which I thought was like, that's going to be the coolest thing. So a little research into that. And I, I realized like, well, I actually have to do like, real med school to get that job. <laughs> and I just was like, you know, I, maybe, maybe that's not the best thing to jump in both feet. Maybe I could just start with illustration, like start with art. If it, if it's not enough for me at the end of four years of college, I'll pursue the next thing. And, um, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the history of, of how I kind of found my career is just kind of choosing to go down that art path and, um, by the time I graduated, I, I did a, a brief, uh, stint in grad school and, uh, really focused on going into publishing and illustrating as I, th- I thought I should, I should definitely work for a publisher. I, I don't want to be a gallery artist or a freelance artist. I didn't think the work would be steady enough. So growing up in Chicago, I, and I went back home. I, I, I knocked on every publisher's door I could find. I dropped off portfolios. I actually did the same in New York. I, I took a trip up there just to um, just to like leave a packet in the art director's hand and say, wow. this is me. I'm an artist. Hire me. And um, just was like doing all the by-the-book stuff. And I got a few jobs here and there. They were like little gigs, nothing, nothing crazy. But uh, I didn't love it. Like I, I just really didn't love it. The, the pieces of artwork that I, that I was asked to make were, they were not interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And 
in the meantime, since they weren't kind of coming in as frequently as I would hope, I was, I set up like a little rudimentary screen printing shop in my house and so rudimentary. I didn't even have a press. I just held the screen with one hand and I printed with the other. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's, I would lay the shirt flat on the table and then I would, I would tumble dry these things in a, to, to set the ink in like a conventional or, uh, basically in a laundromat and then fold the shirts and, and deliver them. And this was like a, like for my friends who had clubs and bands and, and school groups. Like this was the, this was very much, if you need some t-shirts made, Matt Moreau's the guy, he could do something for you. But it was cool because I was able to just design something for them. It was super casual. They, they would usually say, Hey, that's great. Well, let's do that. <laughs> And I'd, I'd, I'd put it on a screen, put it on a t-shirt, deliver it. And, and it would be great because that was actually regular income for me. I'd be able to keep the lights on and be able to keep, uh, my hobbies alive. Just, it was enough to, to live on as just some, some dude right out of grad school. So, uh, so as that part of my life grew, I became less dependent on the, the publishing side and, I decided to stop pursuing that in earnest and instead invest in this little reputation I made for myself in Greenville. So I bought my first press and I bought my first actual dryer and I set it up in my house like a, like a garage print shop, you know? And, uh, shortly after that, I got my first big client, which was a couple thousand t-shirts. And this was the type of thing where you, you tell somebody like, yeah, this is no problem. I could definitely do this for you. And, you know, we met at Starbucks cause I don't have an office. I gave them a quote. They, they thought, they thought it was like, uh, they must've thought I really had my act together because back then I would have not had trusted myself. <laughs> uh, had I needed, had I needed a couple thousand t-shirts made. You would not but, ask you. <laughs> I would not ask myself to do that. I'd be like, I need to see where this guy's actually working. It's just like would show up to meetings, rubbing the sleeve out of my eyes. And <laughs> Starbucks was my office though. And, uh, I, I grew a lot of my business in, in a year or two of, of just meeting people at Starbucks. Sometimes I, I'd, I'd be drinking so many coffees a, a day because I had back to back meetings that I wanted to keep looking like, Oh, I'm just here for a coffee, you yeah. know, I don't actually live here in Starbucks, <laughs> but, um, that, that large volume order actually provoked me to get my first employee slash intern. It's like a gray area when it's your first person, you kind of like promise them the world, like, Hey, if you, if you come help me, then, you know, you could work anytime you want. And I'll, pay, I'll, I'll buy pizza and <laughs> it's going to be like this really, that's yeah, going to just be this really cool experience where we're printing t-shirts and like listening to podcasts and eating pizza and, and it's going to be fun. So anyway, that's, that's kind of how it all got started. And, and the business really grew when my wife, who um, had also just graduated from grad school, uh, while she was looking for a job in education, she just joined me to, to help for a little bit. And, uh, that really brought a lot to the table and we experienced a surge of growth so much so that we had to get our own brick and mortar store. And with that, I, I kind of had this, you know, five years in moment, 
take a look at myself, take an honest look at myself. And I'm like, man, I'm, I don't love this because I'm not actually doing art for me, like that I care about, like the creative stuff that I was doing was like coming up with ways to get more business and to grow this thing and to, and to pay bills. And, you know, it's like, it's the kind of, it's the kind of creative problem solving you're doing that you're, you're trying to create stability and not necessarily create a, uh, an environment that you can thrive in. Uh, it's more like an environment that you can survive in. And that was, that was just not what I needed. Um, I needed a change. And, uh, I had this moment where I was going through some real struggle and, um, at the time my wife was like, why don't you, why don't you like go back to the drawing board? Literally like you, you really enjoy creating art. You, you went to art school, like make something that you like, is that it's just for you make something that you would want to wear. So I had a, a huge interest in the national parks. Uh, almost every summer I go on some kind of backpacking trip with some friends, the friend group changes uh, you've been on one with me. Yeah. Still one of my favorites. Ugh. Backpacking through through the best part of Yosemite and uh, taking photos the whole time. Just dragging probably 50 pounds of camera gear with That's you. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. It was it was way overkill. But <laughs> but totally I mean, worth it. <laughs> not many not many people get to experience sunrise in the backcountry of Yosemite and not many people get to experience kind of making it up and over clouds rest and half dome and, and walking down back into Yosemite Valley and, and just feeling like a rock star. Cause <laughs> yeah. you've got all this, you got all this like weight on your back and you you feel like you're, you look way more rugged than you actually do look. Cause you, you spent a couple nights in the woods. You're like I am amazing. Well, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's like I've emerged from the wilderness uh, where we've been eating like cush hot meals the whole the whole trip, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> but it's those kind of experiences that like I was clinging to and was looking forward to getting away from the office and enjoying more of those. And, and I had I, by this time I've, I've had visited several national parks and I've traveled to to hike in the mountains of a couple other countries. And I was like, you know what, I'm I'm just going to. I'm just going to illustrate the, the things I remember about these places, the, the things that really created a lasting impression for me. And I started off actually pretty small. I, I didn't want to tackle these national parks because it, honestly, the tasks seemed a little intimidating. So I went for the, the local state parks because I thought like, if this is a bust, I can at least sell these to, to, friends that like, like these state parks, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I set out to, to create some illustrations inspired by that golden age of, of travel design and, uh, made, made three t-shirts for three different state parks near me. And at the time, some of these parks were still fairly under trafficked. It's not the case anymore. Um, but they were places that a lot of my friends and, and a lot of locals as Greenville was a, a growing town were starting to discover. And I thought it was really cool that people would see these and, 
And if they've been there, they would immediately relate to these graphics and be like, oh, man, I love Jones Gap or I love Table Rock, love Lake Jocassi. And if they hadn't been there, the, the reaction was totally different. It was a reaction of like, anticipation, like, oh, I really want to go there. This makes me want to see that place. Like if it was so good that it made you want to create art for it, maybe I should go and, and check this out for myself. So the, the first three shirts started as just a little side project of the actual print shop with no intention for any kind of revenue or sales. It was, it was literally a, a passion project. And then, um, fast forward a few years and somebody who saw them was really thought I, I could sell these to the local retailers. I think that they would pick these up in a heartbeat. And at the time I just thought, sure, why not? Let's just go for it. What, what's the risk in that? And he, he took them on the road with him. He was actually already a sales rep in the industry. So he took them on the road with him Well, he went and visited some of the retailers in our area. And he came back and he said, like, we sold a ton. You need to print more. Uh, and you need to, and you need to design more. People are asking for their landmark. So we, we kind of started this whole landmark project. Again, it was a side project of our already growing business and people were starting to call it like Dapper Inc's landmark project. So we made it a real thing. And, and Dapper Inc is, was, is your like screen printing business. Dap, and then yeah, out Dapper of that, Inc. Yeah. Yep. That's the name of the screen printing company. Inc is I N K. So you could, if you're, if you're just listening to it and you're not reading the show notes, uh, I, I remember <laughs> being in uh, my, like my parents' house I was home one year for college. I was like, I've got this little t-shirt thing going on. What should I call it? I need a name for it. So I pulled out a thesaurus. It was like, what, what is a, a synonym for like good looking? So like dapper, then we're just going to, we're just going to lean into the word dapper and then ink for a play on words for incorporated. But instead it's just ink, like the thing you put on a t-shirt. So Dapper Inc. is the parent company and the Landmark Project is the brand that sits underneath it. And the Landmark Project has been outgrowing Dapper Inc. now because during the, you know, a couple years back, there was a centennial for the national parks. And we decided if we're going to, we're going to grow this thing beyond a local radius, then we need to make advantage of this hundred year anniversary of our national park system. So we, threw together a quick, probably eight to 12 designs featuring the most prominent, most popular parks, Yellowstone, Yosemite, Rocky Mountain, Smoky Mountain. And uh, we just like scraped up all the money we had and went to Outdoor Retailer, which is the industry's biggest trade show, and set up a, a booth uh, like a tiny little booth amongst the giants. You know, there's huge brands there. And then here we are trying to get noticed, but first trade show, first collection of t-shirts. And one of the first people that come by our booth are a couple buyers for REI. They hand me a card. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. Like, I'm not ready for this. I don't think they were even that interested at the time, but they, I think they saw it and they saw potential and they said, like, we want to keep in touch. This is pretty cool. And you know, now they're one of, they're one of our 
largest accounts, but uh, you know, and they've been a huge partner in our growth. But the the I guess where I'm kind of bringing the story full circle, like I said in the very beginning, is like starting out as a kid who just drew inspiration from the natural world and the environment around him. That has been kind of what I've landed back into, and I still have. I still have a lot of other creative things that I have to do that aren't the right side of my brain, like coming up with how to be a good boss to 30 people and coming up how to find new ways of revenue, how to create policies for my company that are, you know, in the, in the best user experience that we can find. And that uh, I don't hate that. Like I actually really like, working with a team to help creatively grow the company. And that's been a challenge in 2020. Just, you know, how do we reinvent ourselves? How do we, how do we let a couple things go that we had planned for 2020 and instead focus on some other things that are areas of unexpected growth. And when I need a break for that, from that, I, I could just open my computer and, and draw you know, or take, go outside and, and find inspiration out there. The, you know, the, the whole, the whole process has been, uh, of getting to this point has been really difficult and, you know, we've hit multiple ceilings in, in every three to four years, we've hit one of those ceilings where it's like, this is either going to make us or it's going to break us. And, and, uh, 2016 was that way big time. I feel like 2020 is just a different kind of challenge, but you know, it's, it's, it's really working both left and right sides of my brain right now, because I, I I'm working on the, the future collections that the brand is going to be putting out. So we're designing for 2021 right now, but we're still trying to sell all the stuff we thought we needed in 2020 and, and, and create and solving problems of the day while we're also solving problems that we might think are in the future. And, but but it's been it's been a really fun journey. I uh, wouldn't change it, or or you know, I, I look back and think like medical illustration. I'd still be drawing bones at this point, and and that would have gotten really really tired. There's not a lot of room for creativity when you're trying to interpret the human body for surgeons. You know, it's this is a it's a pretty strict thing. Whereas there there are no boundaries for for what we can do now. How many years ago did you start? Dapper Inc. We started it in 2007. Okay, so that's like, that's, I, I think like creative businesses now are a lot more like, uh, like, like people see those everywhere, right? So it's a lot more like, oh, wow, you're just starting a small creative business. Of course you are. Um, and that's like, it's a lot easier with Instagram, all these things. Uh, when I like kind of first met you, it was like, whoa, like at least in my world, like those things weren't happening. And I remember something really uh, that stood out that you said is like, you know, sometimes you need to like, like do something like work on something so that you can, um, that you can like do the things that you really love. Um, and so I, I kind of see that in your story where it was like, okay, I, at least like, I like doing this better than this. And then it gave you an opportunity to like work on a passion project. You know, I think it's really easy, especially for creatives to go maybe directly for what they love first. Um, in your, in your kind of journey, how do you think, um, you know, how, like, 
a landmark project wouldn't probably exist today unless you you started your screen printing business um, and maybe your screen printing business wasn't your like 20 year goal or whatever that is. So like doing steps towards your dream as opposed to going straight f- for it. Well, I you know, you can do it both ways and it all depends on, you know, what your support groups like if, if you have friends around you who could support you, if you're if, even if you're in like a community like for us where the the cost of living is low the quality of life is high the the interest in homegrown companies homegrown brands is is very high and, and our community is looking to support people like that so it's, i think it's very important to just be like honest where you are right now if you're alone in a big city maybe it's not the best idea to just like take a risk but for me i'm i'm i was very resourceful i was just growing up that i was raised that way so you know, I would, I would have been happy to build decks and, you know, for a couple of years, I, I loved working with my hands. So screen printing, building decks, whatever it was, was going to be totally fine. Well, I waited out what my passion and, and what my long-term goal would be. And remember I was at the time, I thought it was going to be, um, illustrating and publishing for books. And I thought one of these days I'm going to move back to the city did a work in-house with a publishing company. And, and that wasn't a, a bad thing. That wasn't, that wasn't wrong to think that or pursue it when instead something else was going to happen. But sometimes you just need to, to bide your time a little bit and be patient while your options present themselves. Because what I know doesn't happen is you don't graduate from college and you have like, choose, choose the career behind door number three or choose the career behind door number two. It, it doesn't happen that way. You just, you need to kind of take it a day at a time, be resourceful in the meantime, find income, steady income where you can. And when you see an opportunity that looks really appealing to you, then you could choose to take a risk on it. And there are, there are a lot of creatives that I've watched go through this process where, they, they feel like they're stuck in a, in a dead end job or like the nine to five job, which I just side note, like I have a very low tolerance for people who, who like think the nine to five job is this bad thing. Like, trust me, it's not, it's, you can make a nine to five job as good as you want it to be. And that's not true across the board, but I, I love going to work. Like I go to the office at eight, I leave at five thirty or six. I, I love the people I work with. It's, it's so much fun. We have an amazing culture and I know a lot of that comes from a lot of hard work, but that's the kind of work I love and what really pays off and what makes nine to five worth it. Um, owning a business, owning your own business can suck just as much as a nine to five job could suck because the amount of liabilities you take on, sometimes it feels lonely you don't know how to do things like your own taxes or loans and, and, and grow through ceilings. Like you need a team and a team approach to a lot of those things and, and building a team around you, creating a company culture where people can thrive and grow. That's what I love about a nine to five job. Anyway, that's the side note. I guess w- when people say they want to escape that or do their own thing or start their own creative business, then, um, I, I'd like to always suggest, well, just like maybe try to save up two or three months of expenses that you know you can rely on. A lot of times if, if you're just starting out, if you're, if you're single or if you live in a, 
like I said, in a, in a community that has a good amount of support and a good cost of living. That's not that hard to do. You can actually do that in about a year if you're, if you're um, really serious about your job. Uh, and that to me, like kind of creating that cushion is, is a great way to convince yourself that you actually really love the thing that you're pursuing. Cause if, if it's not worth it to you to, to sacrifice a little bit of money on the front end, then it's, it's not going to be the type of thing that you could sacrifice for when you're actually pursuing it. Like you have to be in a, in a, uh, in a habit of, of, of like sacrificing for this thing that you want. And then don't, you know, you can, you can dabble in it while you do your other job, but it's never, I say this to so many people, like you'll never get full-time salary from a job that you're not putting full-time effort into. So when you make the jump, make the jump, like just do it. Uh, and, and for the most part, I don't think I've ever seen somebody have to fall back to a career they didn't like if they just fully committed to it. Don't, don't make it your, you know, one hour every night, couple hours over the weekend pursuit. Um, just, just go all in. And that's been really neat to see a couple, whether it's just a, somebody who wants to paint for the rest of their life and, or somebody who wants to, you know, just maybe it's not even a creative business. It's just start a business. Um, it's been really neat to see some of that come to fruition. So you're obviously a big proponent of being outdoors and uh, embracing the national parks. What do you think uh, being outdoors uh, helps like us as individuals and helps us as creatives? Well, I think if you look at 2020 and you see how people found a way to release some of their anxiety, you see a lot of people going outside, right? <laughs> Our national parks, the tourism is like at an all time high. And but during quarantine, people were just taking walks and, you know, whatever they could do to just get out, exercise and, and enjoy the fresh air. So I think, I think it's always be, been understood and, and kind of a universal truth that being in nature and, and being outside is one of the best things you can do as therapy. And I like to call it creative therapy personally, just because if, if I spend too much time inside and I don't have any windows in my office, so it's like the, imagine the darkest, <laughs> darkest room in the whole shop. Um, if I spend too much time inside and, and I'm stuck there, I, I can actually feel that like draining my kind of like creative energy. And I, I need to, you know, once the well is dry, I need to go back outside because that pretty much just fills it back up. And I can draw on that well for a little bit longer once once I take time to to actually do that. I don't know. There's there's something intangible about the whole experience that I couldn't really put into better words for you, except the fact that I think it's necessary. Yeah. Well, I think it's like that exact um 
like how you even described that like backpacking trip in Yosemite. It's like if you just like look at the facts, it's like, oh, we hiked uh, this many miles and we did this. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily maybe sound very special, but like the impact that seeing, you know, seeing parts of the earth at certain times of the day and certain uh, locations uh, can really change your life in a lot of ways um, and really impact you. Um and like that, yeah, that's what it did for me. Like I was just thinking about that trip the other day and it was like it, you think a lot and uh, it really can can kind of change even how you're thinking about your life in the moment. Um, and was that was that your first backpacking trip? That was my first backpacking trip. Like I had gone <laughs> camping before. Uh, right. I had gone camping before, but never like uh, sling a 60 pound bag on my back and <laughs> go hiking. One of my favorite things to do like one of my favorite activities is to take people on their first trips. And that's just because I like, got the, the trail that you and I did. It was one that I've done before. I've done it again since I've taken a couple new people on that trail. And for those of you listening, it, it starts in the high country in Yosemite national park at Tuolumne meadows. And it's a, a little bit more than 30 miles of a hike over clouds rest, which is one of the highest points in the park. And then up and down Half Dome, which is one of these harrowing experiences where you're 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 on this impossibly steep, four hundred foot tall rock, totally exposed all around you. People die falling off this thing, and you're 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 pulling yourself up this rock in a line of people that are gripping to a steel cable, and you have to wonder like, how is this okay? Like, how are <laughs> How is this allowed? How, how is, like, right. How is this allowed? Like, this feels so unsafe. And you get to the top and, and this rock is way bigger than you think it is. And, and, and you could stand on the edge. You could, you could sit with your feet dangling thousands of feet above the valley floor and, and just take it all in. And, and watching people for the first time ever see kind of what they're made of and, and realize how small they are. They, they, they emerge a different person than they went in for sure. And it's always for the better. You know, there's, there's always that first couple hours of the hike where it's like straight uphill, you're getting used to your, the feeling of your backpack. And it's like, what have I gotten myself into? And there's that look, look of panic on their face. Like, well, I'm never going to make it. It's going to be like this the whole time, but you know, before you know it, you're just, you're just crushing miles and, and enjoying the views and taking your time. That, that's the perfect hike. It's, it's the perfect three days in the backcountry. So that, that is, yeah, that's, that's why I call it intangible because I don't, I don't think I could point to a specific thing and just say, this is, this is why it's important. Um, it just, it fills the well, you know, it, it's all these experiences together, uh, that when you emerge, you're like, all right, I can get back to it. I can, I feel like I could, I feel like I have tons of ideas and honestly just feel like a better person.
you can learn more and shop some of the Landmark Project's apparel and goods over at thelandmarkproject.com. And you can also find them on Instagram at The Landmark Project. And I'll also put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening this week. I hope each episode encourages you to lean into who you are as a creative and do work that matters. If you love the podcast, I would love for you to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, And it doesn't even have to be any words. Just a rating would be swell. Maybe a little five star (laughs) would be great. And until next week, stay obsessed. Stay obsessed.